Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Everybody can't think of a better way to spend my evening. It's cold and snowy out there, and to sit, to have to sit and have warm conversation with somebody who covers a topic that I'm absolutely enthralled with. I want to thank first, though, Ken Quiethawk for his intro. As always, he is an amazing man. You can find him if you Google Native storytellers. He's probably right at the top of the list. He and his wife have been doing this for a very long time. Their CDs are amazing. And to learn how the early Native Americans were able to preserve their history and cosmology through their stories and their fables is an adventure to be, to be savored for sure. So check him out. Uh, we're going to be looking into a, a fascinating book tonight. We're going to be looking into Karma Can Be a Real Pain and uh, written by Joanne DiMaggio. I want to tell you a little about the book because um, it was fascinating. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I have a ton of really cool questions for her. Are you Are physical and mental illnesses the result of karma acquired in a past life? And if so, does uncovering that lifetime lead to healing? According to the year-long research project conducted by Joanne, the answer is yes. 50 volunteers, ranging in age from 34 to 74, participated in the project. They came in suffering from such chronic conditions as arthritis, diabetes, joint and limb pain, head trauma, weight and digestive problems, sexual dysfunction, skin conditions, liver and kidney issues, drug and alcohol abuses, and mental illness. Employing past life regression and augmenting the session with soul writing, that's writing in an altered state of consciousness, the project sought to find buried past life story behind the present day malady. Karma Can Be a Real Pain illustrated, illustrates how ordinary men and women met their past life aspects and discovered the karmic origin of their chronic condition, resulting in a healthier, happier life in the here and the now and beyond. Karma can be a real pain, but lucky for us, there is a cure. Joanne has been actively involved with Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment since 87. 
1987, and has been the coordinator for ARE Charlottesville since August 2008. She earned her master's in transpersonal studies degree and her spiritual mentor certification through Atlantic University. She's given talks on the subject of past life exploration and soul writing to audiences across the country. In addition, she's been the guest on nearly 70 radio programs and has had several articles published in Venture Inward. She's been professionally pursuing past life research and therapy for over 30 years and is the author of six books, um, all of which I personally intend to delve into because I found this one intriguing and insightful. There were aha moments, and it was written in a fashion that, that to be honest with you, you kind of wish she had written more than she did. So welcome to the show, Joanne. I'm so glad you're joining us tonight. Thank you, Barbara. I've been looking forward to our chat. Oh, me too. Uh, past life regression and um, soul writing um, are two of my favorite topics that, that I thoroughly enjoy getting involved in. And, I, I you know, when, when somebody writes a book like this one, there is always some sort of trigger that makes you first do research, then become involved, then become insightful, then wanting to share your information with other people. Mm-hmm. So how did, how did the, the seed for this book, how did it get planted in your life? How did you experience what might have been a past life recognition? Well, um, for this particular topic, I should I should tell you I absolutely love research projects, um, and I also uh, have told people I consider myself a reporter for the universe. So for me to find a topic that I find compelling, design a research project around it, gather the data, and then share that is is the greatest joy of my life. This particular um, uh, project came about um, after I heard Dr. Norman Sheely, who your audience may know that name. Um, He's um, very well known in the area of medical intuition. Uh, Mm -hmm. He gave a talk at the ARE in Virginia Beach. And when he, you know, he's a medical doctor. When he got on to the stage to start talking, he he said something that just blew me over. You know, he said that in his experience, all significant illnesses or accidents in this life are the result of some unfinished business from a previous life. So this was the first time that I had ever heard actually a medical doctor saying that illnesses have their origin in a previous lifetime. And that threw me for a loop. I'm sitting in the audience, and I, I ended up having lunch with him while he was there, and I, I told him you know, that I had been doing past life research for many, many years, um, and uh, I was fascinated with this. And I started wondering whether I should add that to my practice. Should I be doing medical intuition? Um, and then I realized after speaking with him uh, that that really wasn't my calling. But I still was fascinated with the whole idea that um, we could trace, could we trace a chronic condition in this life to a prior lifetime? And so I started to look at what other 
past life therapists and authors had written on the subject uh, and um, decided to do a research project of my own, uh, which I did, and um, was a year-long project. And I had originally had 50 people. I had, did have 50 people. Only 23 are in the book. I had to giggle a little when you were talking earlier about it was the kind of book you wish that I, that I would continue writing. I would have if my publisher didn't stop me because <laughs> when, when he found out I had 50, he goes, Joanne, there's no way we're going to do a, a book with 50 transcripts in, in it. So he said the book would be too huge and nobody would end up buying it. So I had to cut it back to 23, which wasn't easy to oh. do because I, I thought they were all very compelling stories, you know. But um, but I had 18 women and five men in this particular book, and um, they had they they came from all walks of life. I had professors and registered nurses, and uh, I even had an aerospace project manager and flight attendants and Navy veterans and and um, so I just kind of put it out there that if you had a chronic illness and you were willing to see if we could trace it to a past life to participate in my research, and um, I had no shortage of volunteers. No, oh, I can I can imagine. I long time ago I did a show on um, near death experiences that I put out on Facebook. You know, doing mm-hmm. research on near death experiences. Anybody want to share? And um, Everybody wanted to share. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Um, one thing, two things actually that 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 you you didn't get into, and I'm curious about, and and you know I should have mentioned this to you before because you know I hate to pull it on you now, but I, I'm pretty sure that there's an answer that's easy. Um, you, you're, you're talking here major illnesses, and and are phobias included in that? I mean. Because in the work that I've done, I have found that phobias are very frequently related to past life experiences. They definitely are, and and, um, nobody came forward with that that, uh, issue, uh, which Mm -hmm. was interesting because um, I I originally did not even want to go anywhere near drug or alcohol abuse or mental and emotional disorders because... I wanted to be very cautious about um, knowing what my limitations were. And if these people had some serious conditions that required um, the assistance of the help of, of a professional, you know, with a higher, in a higher grade than I was, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I really wanted to encourage that. But they nonetheless came. I did have people with... Um, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, and mental and emotional disorders, you know, people that were having uh, night terrors um, and things like that. But in terms of phobias, um, we didn't really look at that. Although I have to tell you, I do find that one of the most fascinating aspects of my work. Um, I certainly have phobias that I know are from previous lifetimes. And oh, yeah. it's very common, very, very common. Uh, and... Um, and so, um, but it, but what it, what's interesting is that it, it is very it, as common as it is. It doesn't come up as a reason people come to see me. Isn't that odd? I mean, you would think that, you know, I have this I have this fear of height, or I have this fear of snakes, or I have uh, a fear of bridges, yeah. or I'm afraid of water. No, they I never 
I shouldn't say never. Well, you know, I, I would think I would be, you know, if I was going to come to you, and and I, you know, that would be such fun. That would be an adventure for me. But but of of all the things that I would, you know, I know I'm afraid of getting my face wet. I panic in the shower sometimes. I really? know I drowned mm-hmm. a couple of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and and yeah. you know, to want to, to do I want to relive drowning? Not not particularly. So um, I'll I'll live with getting my face wet, and I I think that sometimes people I think sometimes people would prefer to live with their phobia and dig deeper into into the other things going on in their life because you you get into such detail and and it it's just it's amazing. The the other thing that I was curious about are birthmarks because mm-hmm. birthmarks also have relevance to past lives as well. Right, and when I did this project, um, the very first part of the regression script, um, I would do a body scan, and mm-hmm. I would go from their toes on up to their head, and I did ask that while the, while I was uh, helping them to relax and getting into that very, very deep state of relaxation prior to starting the session, I would say to them, you know, when I'm relaxing their feet, I would say to them, I want you to scan both of your feet and tell me if you feel any discomfort, sensitivity, or if you have a birthmark there. Um, because ah, okay. uh, the, the birthmark, uh, as you well know, um, could be from a wound from a prior mm-hmm. lifetime. It could be some element of of, uh, of something that may have happened to them. And many of them did, did say they had birthmarks. Dr. Ian Stevenson the late Dr. Stevenson, who was did uh, so much groundbreaking work with the past lives of children, uh, was here in at the University of Virginia, uh, and uh, they're they're continuing to do um, a lot of his work. And they seem right now they're um, they do do work with with children, but also with uh, the near death experiences. Um, he wrote about the importance of or, or the the um, meaning of you know having these uh these wound these birthmarks so we would go through that as a way of identifying areas of their body that maybe we needed to look at so if somebody was stabbed they might have a uh a birthmark at that entry wound um and uh anywhere on their body really didn't necessarily have to bother them in this life but it was interesting to try to see if when they actually did the regression part of it, if they did uncover some physical um, accident or something done to them deliberately that caused that that uh, birthmark to uh, to remain and come back in, in subsequent lifetimes. Have, did you find when you were doing these regressions that sometimes it was recurring in many different lifetimes or... Did you just focus on one particular one? Well, I asked their soul to take them to the life that was most impacting them now. So mm-hmm. that way we zeroed it in. But I did have, uh, I, I did see uh, with with some of them, especially ones that I had done sessions with before, that, that this was recurring. I had one woman with um, was constantly having head trauma, and uh and we found that in multiple lifetimes um 
So um, <clears throat> so it is something that can recur unless you deal with the karmic issues that created that in the that condition in the first place. And then if you resolve that, then you're free, and the, and then um, usually you're free of it, and you move on uh, and uh, on to your you know the next goal of your soul. Um, I had out of the 23 in my group, I believe I had four who had a spontaneous healing, and then um, and then another maybe seven, yeah, another seven who said that their condition improved um, almost immediately. So about half of them, it, it was better. The other, the other part, of, the other half, a good portion of them said that the condition didn't change, but their perspective on it changed because they finally knew what the source was. They knew why. When, you know, sometimes when you have the answer to the, the, to the why question, um, it, it does a uh, tremendous healing takes place because it suddenly it makes sense to you. you. That's when you have that aha moment, right? Oh, oh now yeah. I understand. Now I get it. And uh, and so even though you may still be plagued by that condition, you at least approach it from a completely different angle. And that in and of itself can be very healing. I did, um, <clears throat> since you did 50 people and you only wrote about half of them, um mm-hmm. My, I, it piqued my curiosity. In, in all the years that I've worked at, you know, readings and stuff like that, I've only once had a person with multiple personalities where they all showed up in the reading. Um, oh, wow. Have you ever worked with? You know, it was funny. I I would get cards out and I'd start reading, and then I'd feel a like a cool breeze, and I'd look up and say, "You're not so and so." No, I'm so and so. Okay, so we'll do them again, and. <laughs> And at the end of the reading, I said, who has the checkbook? And they told me, and I said, put her back on. <laughs> and I said, next time you all have to book your own readings. And um, I was just wondering if you had ever worked with somebody with multiple personalities. I I had somebody come in, um, and to be honest with you, she um, was very frightening to me. And it was the one and only time I've ever actually been fearful and wished that there had been somebody else in in the office um, uh, when I did this session because she, uh, I'm not sure if it was a case of possession. I I think I'm pretty sure it was because of the way she was acting. It reminded me something out of The Exorcist. Um, Oh, my. Yeah, and she just started to, it was evil. Whatever it was was evil because you could see by the twisted way that her face was and, and the the gurgling in her voice and um uh would not would not allow me to do the regression, wanted to take control of the session. I think that whatever this was that came forward um was looking for a voice, was looking for a stage. And um and so I, I tried to end the session because I realized she did not come for a past life regression. And I wasn't able to help her because, again, that was an area that I was not uh, well-versed in. And so, uh, but I had I had difficulty with her uh, getting um, getting those personalities to be subdued enough where I could get her back to the point where I could, you know, pull her out of that, um, out of the session and... Uh, 
and asked her to leave. Um, and and I had trouble with her for quite a while after that because she, there was so much anger uh, there. Wow. And um, <clears throat> so, it, but you never know. I mean, that was the one and only in the in the thirty something years I've been doing this work. That was the one and only time that ever happened to me. So, um, yeah, you know. I I can totally relate to that. I think um I I have cats. I've always had cats. And um I have found that if when a client comes to the door or or on the phone, I watch my cats. And if oh. the cats leave the room, if my cats won't be around, I usually reschedule and then don't. Mm-hmm. Um and and I and I jokingly say you're being cat scanned, but I'm very serious. Yes, yes. That's a great idea. Animals are, you know, and even if, I don't know, if you didn't want to get a cat or a dog, a bird might do the same thing. They pick up Mm -hmm. on um, erratic energy Mm -hmm. so that, you know, Mm -hmm. they, you know, we're going to leave the room now, and you know, and it it it, it works well. And and uh, for the last fifty years, there's always been a cat or a dog in my house. So, I I would I would know if if there was something unsettling about a person. Doesn't mean there there was anything wrong with them. Just means that they were unsettled and maybe not a good time mm-hmm. to be worked with. Yeah, um, the, I, and, and you know I I always use um, white light protection. I always say mm-hmm. a prayer of protection before I work with any client or, you know, we get into the, the session. So I throw that white light around both of us. Um, and I don't ever work with spirit without doing it, but this time it just didn't work. And uh, and I thought, gee, <laughs> yeah. Joanne, you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so but that's, that's so rare, and it's... Um, um, you know, this work I take very seriously. To me, past life work is sacred work. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I um, and I treat it that way. So, um, and I would tell you that almost everybody who comes to me um, that that that's something that that they understand. Um, so, um, but this woman, I don't know. I don't remember in what context she came, if she came because she was, she may have been a volunteer for one of my research projects. And, uh, um, you know, in that case, uh, because it's a a volunteer thing, you know, I had more people coming in um, than I normally would uh, Mm -hmm. because these these were not paying clients. They were just part of the research project as a volunteer. So, um, but it it was a learning lesson for for me, and um, and I blessed well, I her. That's, and, a, that, that's yeah. important, I think, for everybody to understand that that though a professional is is doing a service, um, every now and then there's somebody that is above your pay scale, and <laughs> and <Yeah>. that <laughs> and and you know I uh, it's. We are always growing and learning, so we have those aha moments just like they do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because, you know, you have a shingle out or whatever, it doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes the screws get loose. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, I mean, I, I've got a lot of education in, in that regard, um, but I'm not a psychiatrist. 
uh, yeah. and I'm not a mental health professional. Um, and so when these people come in, you know, I, I'm not an abuse counselor. I, I don't uh, I don't deal in that realm. That's just as they would not necessarily deal with what I'm doing. Uh, and they would recommend people to me, so then I recommend people out to, if, if I feel they need um, a psychotherapist services or, you know, alcohol or drug abuse counseling or whatever. Um, so I think it's important um, to not let the ego get in the way and to, you know, my desire is to help people toward their healing, to enable their soul to, to have a transformative uh inspired experience and so um however we can get there that's the way we're going to go <laughs> well i think it's it's brilliant the way that you have um <clears throat> organized your sessions and um yeah i think one important thing for everybody to understand too that that you don't have to physically be present that you do do them on zoom so that you know yeah. anybody can call for an appointment um does somebody have to have? I mean, I mean, this particular one, and, and you know, we were going into major illnesses and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but, does somebody have to have a specific issue in order to do a past life regression, or is just simple curiosity enough? They don't need an issue at all. As a matter of fact, they don't even have to believe in it for it to work. Um, I do get a lot of people who are curious. Um, and I'll, when we do, when I do the intake, I'll ask them what brings you here today. Uh, and, and now that I'm doing them on Zoom, um, and I'm offering multiple types of regression sessions, I do a uh, the traditional past life regression takes them to the life that's most impacting them now, or or I do one that includes the soul writing, or I'll do the physical karma one, which is what we're talking about tonight. Or else I'll do the one that has life between lives session included. So um, all that's on my website. They could read the different types of session and pick the one that they feel uh, they need. Most people come to me, Barbara, because they they're they're lost. They they don't know why they're on the earth. They they don't have don't know what their soul's mission is. So the most common question is, I don't know why I'm here. Or they'll see a pattern that keeps repeating itself. Maybe it's a pattern with relationships, or maybe it's a pattern with finances or career or something like that. I don't understand why this keeps happening over and over again. And mm-hmm. I think it must be past life related, and so then we'll we'll go in and and we'll um you know, ask spirit to take them to the that lifetime. You know, we've had Many, 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 many lives, and so you can't oh, possibly yeah. be working on all of them at once, right? So we zero in. We tell spirit, you know, ask their soul, you know, take, show her the, or him the lifetime that they're working on now. And believe it or not, sometimes it could be a thousand years ago. It's like your soul waits for the right lifetime to come up, the right uh, circumstances. The, the right socioeconomic group or, or whatever to come in because that's the life that you can you're going to be able to do the the most work on. So you're you're dealing you're karmically you're dealing with something in this life that you may have done to somebody else in a previous life or they may have done to you. Or it could be an illness or a trauma or a triumph. It could be karma's not always bad as you know. Karma can be oh, something yeah. good. I've had I just had somebody the other day who had this 
um, really wonderful lifetime. And he said, I just can't stop smiling. This is great. And I, and I said, well, you deserve that. Because, uh, you, you know, you may have had something really challenging that you did in the life prior to that one, and this was your vacation. You were allowed to come to Earth and have a good time and not have to deal with anything really heavy-duty or Maybe the next one you're going to be dealing with something, and so you're just on this little respite right now. So um, that's important for people to keep in mind, too, that it's if they're afraid of doing the regression because they're afraid they're going to see something that's going to be upsetting to them or they, don't want to, they think they're going to revisit the pain that they may have felt, um, they don't. It, most of the time when they're viewing it, it, it appears to them as a movie and, uh, or they can use all of their senses and they might just be feeling something or sensing something or hearing something. It doesn't always have to be visual. Although people who are visual usually do the best in these kind of sessions because they can follow the guide, the guided imagery uh, Mm -hmm. better. Yeah. Well, you've talked about the relaxation and what you spoke about them with them beforehand. I love take them into um, the past life. You want to explain to, to oh, wait before we get there. Before we get there, you've mentioned soul writing, and um, mm-hmm. you want to give your definition of it because you know what you describe as soul writing, I describe as channeling, and and a lot of mm-hmm. people may not under you know their terminology. I want them to get the terminology into into their focus appropriately. Sure. Well, so. Soul writing uh, is a written form of meditation. So you know how you say prayer is you talking to God, meditation is God talking to you, soul writing Mm -hmm. is you taking notes. So um, it's writing in an altered state of consciousness, which does make it an element of channeling. You're channeling your higher self, you're channeling your source, you're channeling maybe a spirit guide, uh, and... um, then uh, that's com- you, you go into a meditative state, and then the information comes from above, uh, and through you, through your soul, out your arm and onto the paper. It's um, Edgar Casey called it inspirational writing, uh, and when I did my thesis for my master's degree, uh, I did it on, on that topic. But when Casey called it inspirational writing. He called it that um, back in the, I don't know when he first named it, if it was in the 1930s or somewhere around there, um, or maybe even earlier. But back then it meant what, what soul writing means, not just, you know, uh, writing in that meditative state and, and being connected to a higher source when you're doing the writing. Um, then, then that term got hijacked, and then now inspirational writing, if you go on Amazon and you put in inspirational writing, you're going to get all Christian genre books. If you yes. put in automatic writing, you're going to get all occult books. So there wasn't a, there wasn't a name for it uh, at the time that I did my thesis that I thought was true to what this was. So that's when I began calling it soul writing. And I added to... Um, uh, I actually wrote two books about it. My first one, first book was actually what my thesis was, so, so it's soul writing, conversing with your higher self. And that 
tells you all the different ways you can apply it to your life. And then the follow-up was a book I wrote called Your Soul Remembers, and that's accessing your past lives through soul writing because you can actually use soul writing and have a written conversation with your past life aspect. So you can be talking to that part of you that lived hundreds of years ago, a thousand years ago. Um, and I had gotten that idea from Frank DeMarco, who um, wrote a book called Chasing Smallwood, in which he was having a, a conversation with his past life aspect, which whose name was Joseph Smallwood, who lived in the, um, he was a Civil War uh, Confederate uh, soldier. And so Frank would get up early in the morning, get his coffee and sit down and have a conversation through writing and I discovered it because one time I was doing a hypnosis tape, listening to a hypnosis tape, and um, uh, the, uh, I started getting diary entries from, mm-hmm. they're marked 1797 or 1803, and I'm like, what is this? And it turned out <laughs> that that was my past life aspect writing, because it sounded like a romance novel, and I thought, I don't write like this, what is this? And so that's a long story, it's in my book, but uh, but anyway, so I, I thought, well, let's see if everybody else can do that as well. So um, that's what the second book is about, that you can actually use soul writing um, to um to learn about your past lives but you can use it for many other ways too so um you know psychic development and yeah frank demarco has been on the show he has yep i think we did awakening from the 3d world if i recall correctly Uh uh-huh uh cool man yeah he's Um, very um prolific that's for sure as a writer that, that you know and I think most people, when it comes to soul writing or, or channeling, um, they tend to not realize. They, they think they're they're cheating or they're. It, it, but when you get into true soul writing um, or channeling, um, mm-hmm. your voice changes, and and mm-hmm. I'm, by voice I mean your writing voice. Um, yeah. I I don't write poetry. I've never written poetry, but I did a lot of life um readings for people that were written and and there was poetry throughout all of them and you know i was Mm -hmm. i was i was always amazed it's like i don't write poetry is that not cool i mean you can sit maybe with a paper and pencil and say okay you know give us a sonnet or something and it's it'll never come um but well you know what's interesting about that though barbara Barbara, is that there's a lot of um famous authors and composers who use the same process that you use in soul writing when when they were doing the writing and they were um uh identifying uh you know like Beethoven would talk about mm-hmm. it and Keats Handel. and 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 yeah all of them about um and, and I have that in my book as well I was uh wrote whatever once and and also um uh, a Course in Miracles was written that way, so yes. there's there's um, there's quite a, a quite a bit of history behind it, um, and legitimate um, use of it, uh, you know, when done in the right way. And I do make it a point to tell people there is a difference between soul writing and automatic writing. I think oh, people yeah. think of automatic writing 
because that's the more common phrase for it. But Casey warned against doing it because of the fear of um, possession. So there is a mm-hmm. difference between the two, and I do um, I do outline that in in, um, in any book that I'm and I try to mention about soul writing and how to do it in almost all my books. Oh, we didn't do it with. Um, well, they did do the soul writing with karma can be a real pain, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but I do teach that separately. Um, I I can coach people into how to how to do it, and and when I do use it for regressions, if people want to get uh, deeper into what they just saw in the regression, they'll they'll opt to do the soul writing and add that to it, and that often gives them the backstory. Or it'll answer any questions that they, that may, that may have come up that they didn't get answered in the regression. And while they're doing the writing, I'm contacting my friends upstairs and asking if they have any information that I can pass along. And then I do the writing with them, and then we we each read what the other received. And um, it's a it's a very um, powerful tool. And I, I oh, and anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. You don't have to have special skills or abilities. Uh, with practice, you can. Most people get something their first try, but with practice, almost everybody will get something. I, you can write music with it. You can use that same process for drawing. Um, I wrote a line of greeting cards with it. Uh, so there's all kinds of ways it can be used to uh, to really uh, inspire you and others as well. Yeah, it's another one of those tools that we came in with, and uh, <clears throat> we leave in the tool belt for, for most of the time. The Uranthea book is another one that is totally um, soul writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I say that we, we got this um, before our souls came to Earth. We had our little book bag. We're ready to come to that school we call Earth. Oh, yeah. And and Creator slips us this this little card and it's a 24-7 call home card <laughs> because you know he said he said you know you might you're going to go down there and you might get into a situation in which you need some help and you don't know where to turn you've already you know exhausted your friends and your therapists and your ministers and and anybody and anyone who listen to you and you still don't have answers to those tough questions that you're asking but guess what Spirit is here 24-7. You can ask us anything at any time. Absolutely. That's the beauty about it. Um, oh, like with yeah. Edgar Casey, you know, Edgar Casey always waited for a question when he was doing his readings. He, um, And then when he got the question, he went to source, got the answer, brought it back. So mm-hmm. um, I do believe that every answer we ever are looking for can be, can be found uh, through this, um, method of corresponding with spirit. Well, and it, it's it's just my I, I'm I'm putting something in air quotes here. It's my opinion, and it's just my opinion. But my opinion is that if you can formulate a question, the answer is already there. Oh yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So it, it it is an exciting process, and and it, it's a beautiful process. And and I I just I I encourage journaling I encourage soul writing I encourage any form of getting into that part of yourself that is so oh blessedly beautiful and blissful and magical and and you know dipping into the stream and yeah and people have just burst 
Yeah, I've had people that have burst into tears when they've done it because they said, I just didn't think I could write like this. Yeah. You know, or others or others will say, I don't know who did this writing. I didn't do it. I say, sure, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. This was you. You know, it's just like uh, like you're talking about the, the famous uh, composers and, and uh, authors. You know, they all say that it, it feels sometimes like it's dictation, like they're just furiously taking yeah. notes. You know, it's coming in so fast that they can't even keep up with it. And, you know, uh, I'll never forget the story about um, Jonathan Livingston Siegel that when that book was written, uh, how the, Richard Bach was out walking and all of a sudden he heard Jonathan Livingston Siegel, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And he came back and in one sitting wrote out that whole story. So it's amazing. It's amazing what can be done with it. And, um, and how healing it is to do. So, yes, I, I would encourage uh, anybody that's, um, that's interested to, uh, to just try it. Um, Julia Cameron used to do something uh, in her book, The Artist's Way. She talked about morning pages, which is almost the same, yeah. uh, the same technique. Um, and that was such a healing exercise to do. So... It, it can be used for a lot of purposes, and uh, and I, I just think it's one of the greatest tools we have. I think that sometimes when I look back on some of the stuff I've done, I, I've said it came through me, not of me. Yes, and exactly. Right, right. It, it's, um, you know, was it me? Yeah, but not of this lifetime, not of the, not of the physical me. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it is exciting. So, okay, so you, you've got somebody totally relaxed with prickles all over their body. Um, well, not all over, but, but you've, they've identified places. So then you, I, I love this part of it. I, I'm going to borrow it and use it someplace. Explain how you take them into the hallway. Well, for this particular project, I used a different type of script than I usually do. And in this one, um, when they were fully relaxed, I had them see themselves going up some stairs, beautiful marble stairs, and you described that in the stairs. They just keep going up, 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 up. They get to the top of the stairway, and there's a door, and the door is closed. And so I tell them when they're ready to put their hand on the doorknob and turn it. When they open it, they step over the threshold. They're in the lobby of a very old, elegant hotel. Picture something, if you watched a Western uh, movie, of uh, one of those hotels where, you know, there was the velvet plushed furnishings, and, and then I described there's murals, uh, floor-to-ceiling murals, floor-to-ceiling murals of different time periods depicted on them. Um, there's bookcases with these beautiful leather-bound books in them on either side of them and they go they go to this hallway so you imagine yourself going into the lobby of a hotel and and you're going to go to your room well the hallway is uh very very long you can't even see the end of it and there's doors on either side of the hallway and rather than having a, a room number on the door it has a year and it starts with the year of your birth in this life. 
So say you were born in 1965, it would be, that's the first year you would see on the door to either your left or your right. Now, every door down this hallway is different. They're a different color, different uh, texture to them. Um, Some of them might be really glitzy looking uh, with, you know, sequence or something or stars on them or something like that. But every year, every door has a year on it, and that is the year of your birth in the previous life. So you might have a 1965 on your first door, and then all of a sudden you're going to see that you have an 1875 door. And then the one after that might be 1723, and the next one might be, you know, 1630. And it'll just keep going like that all the way back to creation. So I ask my client then, or in this case my volunteer, I say walk down this this hallway, and as you pass each door, um, just look at the door, and spirit will guide you to the door for you to go into, and that's the life that you're working on now. So then I would wait. Sometimes I would wait and wait and wait, uh, but, fi- but but finally they were. They I said you'll know which door it is. You know you'll have a you'll stop. You'll have a yearning. There's something about that door that's calling to you, and you really really want to go into that room. So I'll wait until they say they're in front of the door, and then I'll say what number is on the door, and then they'll tell me the the uh, the year that they're seeing. And then I'll say to them, all right, we're going to go in that door. So when they open the door, I tell them it's like walking onto a movie set and they're filming um, a biography, but it's about you in this other lifetime. I said, so when you walk into that room, it's like walking onto the set in this movie studio and everything there is going to mirror what you lived the the you know, the architecture, the language, the costumes, um, everything is going to be an exact replica of of your life in that time period, in that, that year. And so then they walk in, and that's when, that's when the regression starts. And I'll start my usual questions about asking them to look down at their feet and tell me whether they're bare or are they covered. You know, we find out if they're male or female, um, how old are they? What do they look like? What color is their hair? Uh, what is their body makeup? What color is their skin? So a whole bunch of identification questions um, come up at the beginning. We find out where are they on the planet? What continent are they on first? And then we work our way down. Um, so we just get it. We, we get it's a gathering point of getting as much information to identify them to get their name. Um, find out, you know, where are they having their evening meal and who's having dinner with them, uh, what, how do they feel about those people. So all, all the pretty typical past life regression questions up front. And then when all that's out of the way, I ask them, I said, ask your soul to scan that lifetime and to tell me what was a significant event that happened in that life that um, – made an imprint on your soul as unfinished business. Now, in the case of the physical karma session, um, they may at that point recall the incident that happened um, that 
created, you know, created their physical karma. And so um, we go through that regression, um, and then um, we stay with that description of what happened, go through their death, and then ask the usual questions about, are there any people from that life in your life now? Uh, And if so, what role are they playing? Um, What are the parallels between that life and this life? So they they look at what's going on now and and can see the origins are in that other lifetime. Um, And um, did they have any unfinished business when they died? What were their last thoughts as their soul left their body? Because that often sets up the next lifetime. I had a woman who came to me with head-to-toe psoriasis, and she wanted to know what was the root cause of the psoriasis. She went back to a past life where she was a call girl in the Old West. And when I asked her, what were your last thoughts when when you when your soul left your body at the point of death, she said, I don't want to be touched anymore. And so in this life, she, she manifests a skin condition in which nobody wants to touch her. Oh, so that's, yeah. that's how karma works. So, um, yeah, so then, um, uh, so then we did some forgiveness work, some healing work at the end, and, and then brought them out, and then, you know, the chose to do the soul writing they were able to do it at that point and um and then i followed up like maybe two months later to see how they were doing and i asked them to fill out a questionnaire about the experience and then all of that then got rolled up into my statistical uh information that i also published in the book yeah it was it's it's fascinating to me that that um first of all um, just out of curiosity, practitioner to practitioner, are you seeing everything they're seeing, or are you yes. just getting their? Okay, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not, so, I don't know how. I don't know if every practitioner how how they manifest, but I go with them, and yeah. I can see okay. them, and I can yeah. I, I have like a bird's eye view, which is really helpful because I could see the bigger picture. Oftentimes, uh-huh. clients, when they're in the midst of a of a regression, I think that they're often so uh, overwhelmed by, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that they're getting information is coming at them very rapidly, and they're trying uh-huh. to process it, and so then they don't see the forest for the trees. Oftentimes, right. for me, it's very apparent what's going on, and I can tie in the past life experience with the current life uh, situation, but they they can't always do that for themselves. So, and I don't spoon feed anybody. I don't tell them, listen, this is the way it was, and this is what you know, this is uh, what happened. I I let them make that discovery on their own, but I guide them. You know, I may ask them a question that will um, enable them to to step back and look at it from a different perspective, and then. Uh, and then they that's when they get those aha moments and uh, everything suddenly makes sense to them and that's where the healing happens sometimes it's just knowing what happened that'll that'll uh resolve the, the situation so it's very very for me it's very valuable because um i'm also a historian I wanted to be a history professor when i was in college and <laughs> i suppose being a past life therapist is uh something akin to that because I get taken to all kinds of time periods. I, and, I suspect um, it's even better. 
Yeah, because I mean, I'm getting the real the real deal here. People are talking about what really happened, not what we were told in school. So, um well, I think one other important thing that that this this explains is is also you know, people talk about past lives and when somebody says, "Oh, I was you know, Napoleon and I was mm-hmm. Queen Victoria and I was mm-hmm. Cleopatra and mm-hmm. and um well I'm sure that, that those soul energies have reincarnated but yes. but for the most part we we have we have all led lives. Not not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, standing on a soapbox getting, you know, um accolades from people around us, but we've had full rich lives. In many mm-hmm. cases, full rich, and in other cases, you know, there were difficulties that became lessons this lifetime. Um, but it, it's it's normal to have normal past lives because yeah, m- right, right. Most you know, of us have don't... been Jane Doe's and John Smiths, right? And, yeah. Um, so I do have I have had some people come forward to who believe that they were somebody famous in a past life. Actually, in my book, Karma Can Be a Real Pain, there was one uh, fellow who um, believed oh, he yeah. had been, um, yeah, uh, Stonewall Braveheart. Jackson. But, yeah, and, yeah, Braveheart and uh, I think he said three. But um, what I tell people, I, I also have people who come to me. I had one woman come to me and she said, I think I was Patrick Henry. I said, really? Why do you think you were Patrick Henry? She said, because he's a good talker and so am I. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, my bit, yeah. my new book with, uh, is on Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. Casey did a reading on a baby boy in 1936 when the baby was two days old and said he was the reincarnation of Alexander the Great and Thomas Jefferson. So there's a lot to his story. It took I spent eight years researching him. But I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where Thomas Jefferson lived at Monticello and mm-hmm. where he founded the University of Virginia. So as you can imagine, there are several gentlemen here who believe they were Thomas Jefferson. So um, and, and when I brought this, I'm just now starting to do publicity on this book because it just came out. But... Um, that's that's one of the biggest criticisms of past life work is because people are making the assumption that they were somebody famous. So, for instance, I would tell somebody who believes they were Napoleon, and I will say to them, "Well, are you looking? Are you on your horse looking out at the crowd, or are you in the crowd looking up at Napoleon?" Because famous people have had such a large uh, number of uh, uh, of people that knew them in that time period, just like with Jesus. I mean, you know, so many apostles and Mary Magdalene's and, uh, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, but there is there is someone who really had been that that person. Um, but with with um, with my book, I'm, people are are approaching me now with ideas about the soul. Um, splitting into different strands and those strands are going into multiple bodies 
Yeah. Uh, and then I've had other ones talk about parallel lives and or others get into quantum physics, and it just gets deeper and deeper and heavier and heavier. And um, I'm of the mind that it's one soul to one body. And uh, I think that the purpose of past life work is to heal. And if you and most people have some anxiety about it to begin with, or they're not quite, you know, because only about 25% of Americans believe in reincarnation. Um, you know, if we lived in, uh, if we were in Eastern civilized uh, culture, that wouldn't be a problem. But living in the West, uh, there's some people that are afraid that, oh, if I say I believe in this, it's going to go against my religion. Um, then we get into the whole discussion about the Council of Nicaea, but we won't go there right now. No. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, you know, I just, um, I, I feel like it's, uh, uh, you, you need to keep it simple. Because you'll you'll, you you'll frighten people away if you if you start to get into all these different real heavy theories about it, um, which are I'm not saying they're not legitimate. They very well may be, um, but it's it hasn't been my experience uh, uh, that that's the case. And um, I don't know if your Casey having been wrong about any of his readings, and he did have quite a few famous people. Um, people that had been famous in prior lifetimes coming to him. So um, so I'm sticking with <laughs> with the soul that was uh, Jefferson being here. And then same thing with my friend, the the, um, the Navy veteran who came to me and had that past life as, uh, as Jackson. I've worked with him a couple of times, and I actually have a picture of him standing next to a portrait of Stonewall Jackson, and they look identical. They could be twins. So... Wow. Um, so sometimes there's that physical resemblance. Um, of course, many times, you know, there is no physical evidence of the prior historical lifetime. It depends on how far back it goes. Um, but in the case of Jackson, since um, that was a Civil War era lifetime, um, he um, he had that picture. And the soul that was... Uh, that I wrote about in my book about having been Jeff, uh, Jefferson does look... A, a lot like uh, the images we have of Jefferson. That's not always proof, though. You know, there is no proof, right? We, oh, yeah, we don't have any. Yeah. So. Yeah, you, there, there's but, no uh, tag to the toe, so to speak. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting and, it. And and the other part is, we often reincarnate as male or female. Right. So that mm-hmm. so that you could have a a woman saying that she was Jefferson as well. Oh, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I, I when someone is claiming to be a famous person of the same sex, I, I take a little step back because, mm-hmm. you know, our, our souls go back and forth. And, and we, one thing I, you know, kind of want to explain to people, too, that we do reincarnate within a soul family. So exactly. That, um, mm-hmm. You want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, we travel together as a pod, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. we've been with the same group of souls, lifetime to lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. So it goes all the way back to creation. But we change sex. We change roles. So your father in this life could have been your wife in a previous life. 
one, and that's one of the questions that I ask um, when we, uh, especially in my uh, my previous book, I did it to myself again, which is on the um, life between lives. One of the one of the um, one of the areas that we go into when I do a life between lives session is I'll, they they have to choose their parents, so we do that first, and then I'll say, okay, allow members of your soul family to come forward because they're going to volunteer. Once they find out what it is you want to accomplish, what's your karmic goal in this next lifetime? What are you working on? And then they'll, you know, they may say, well, I'm going to be working on abandonment issues. And so members of the soul family will say, okay, I'm going to come in as your uncle or I'm going to come in as your grandfather and or I'm going to come in as your spouse. And at, at some point in our in your life, I'm going to walk away from you. I'm going to abandon you. And, you know, we get up... So many times we get so angry with people um, who hurt us, and that's that's just human to feel that way. Um, but if we can possibly step back and look at them as a soul, they love us on a soul level. They love us so much that they agreed to come in with us to mirror to us the issue that we're trying to work on so we can get past it. Uh, and when you can see that, which is not easy to do, I'm not saying that, I mean, I have a hard time with it. Um, if you can possibly see it, that it was, that on a soul level there's that love that's ever-present, then forgiveness is easier to accomplish. Um, and um, because you know that they did it because they really, truly love you and they were help, trying to help you learn whatever whatever's on your curriculum for this, life study um you know they're going to kind of come in to help you so but the eyes always remain the same i don't know if you if you found that yourself barbara that you could recognize uh someone from a previous lifetime i think shakespeare said the window eyes are the windows to the soul Uh, yeah absolutely yeah that's very true yeah um i have had some people who have come up that i have met and said that they recognized me from another life, and uh, and more than one recognizing me from the same lifetime. So then I realized, okay, you know what's going on here. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's that's how you know you you have to um, you have to really surrender and go with the feeling, go with your gut feeling. Because when I say to people, okay, who from your past life is in your current life? I said, don't look at them for how they looked in that past life because they don't look like that anymore. Get the essence of their soul, you know, zero in on that. Well, I think one of the fascinating things um, for me was that that at the moment of death, and and somebody wrote, um, Walker wrote, that consciousness is the highest degree of intensity of death with the result that thoughts and feelings that occur in this transition are deeply imprinted on the transmigrating mm-hmm. consciousness. So mm-hmm. so is the moment of death really the, the, the time frame where you're sending out seeds for the next lifetime? Yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned about that woman with the um, head-to-toe psoriasis. Yeah. yeah. Um, when she said, you know, I don't want to be touched anymore, well that, that kind of set that up. Um if you if you um perceive that your beauty say say that you were very beautiful in a previous lifetime and you perceive that that beauty 
brought you nothing but unhappiness. You know, maybe your last thought is going to be, uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to be beautiful again. And so that manifests in, in the next lifetime. Um, it's amazing what people say are their last thoughts. Mostly last thoughts revolve around, I should have loved more. I think that's the number one thing that people say. Um, I shouldn't have worked so much. I should have spent more time with my family. I should have uh, I should have taken advantage of opportunities as they were being presented to me. Um, you know, and what happens then when they come into this life is that becomes almost the number one motivating factor. So if you said, and if your last thoughts were, I should have loved more, when you come into this life, love is going to be uh, one of the main issues uh, that you're going to be working on. Um, it's so fascinating to me, even now, if after all these years, the way the universe orchestrates and, and how how absolutely beautiful it is and how we're all tied together. You know, we're part of this, this chain and, and this whole idea of cause and effect, which is what karma is, plays itself out over and over again. Uh, and it just... You know, I grew up Catholic. I went to 12 years of Catholic school, and the whole idea of sin uh, and one life was like, if you screw up, you go straight to hell. You know, never made any (laughs) sense to me. And uh, I got into all kinds of trouble once I got into high school. Uh, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, so you can imagine, and uh, on the south side of Chicago. And every time I would raise my hand to ask a question, I would get in detention. <laughs> it was like you couldn't. They, they, the priest took me aside and he said, "You can't be asking questions like that because religion is an intellectual experience, not an emotional experience." And of course, I believe the complete opposite. Um, yeah. w- and when I discovered reincarnation as a teenager, um, it just karma made perfect, made a lot more sense to me than sin did, because with karma, eventually. You know, the pendulum swung too far to the left. It was going to have to, it may swing all the way to the right, but it's going to come, it's got to come back to center. Um, And so, you know, to live under universal laws made more sense to me. So that it answered every question. You know, why are some people poor and others rich? Why are some people um, healthy and others aren't? And and it just, this whole idea of justice, the universe being a just place, um, mm-hmm. made more sense to me. And ever since then, I've just embraced, I've embraced reincarnation since I was a teenager. I think the first book I read was Search for Bridie Murphy. And um, <laughs> that tells you how old I am. But but then I started studying Edgar Casey in 1987, and I've incorporated his teachings into into my work. Um, so it's just been it's just a very, I just think in those terms, I remember uh, I had Betty Riley, um, who's a very gifted psychic, who was here. I, I hosted her many years in a row for programs and doing readings here. And I remember one time she got up in front of everybody. She said, I don't believe in reincarnation. I am a reincarnationist. And I've adopted that philosophy. It's not that I believe in it. I just know it in and, and the deepest part of my soul that this is real. 
this is the way the universe operates. And so, uh, and I see the healing, the tremendous healing that it does. And that's mm-hmm. what really keeps me going. How do you explain then, I mean, the pendulum does swing back and forth, I will mm-hmm. grant you. But what about people who have been, I've had trouble explaining to people that the soul, the spirit, is always pure and full of love. The mm-hmm. personality and the ego may, may suck, but mm-hmm. the real soul is perfect. So how do you explain to people that there are people out there like a Hitler or a mm-hmm. Mussolini who have who have murdered thousands and thousands of people and if mm-hmm. their next life they come back to atone and to balance that out, they come back as a saint or somebody mm-hmm. who really does great things. And does that mean mm-hmm. that people who do great things were monsters in a past life? Not necessarily and the people who've done some monstrous things may come back and have monstrous things done to them, uh, yeah. you know, okay. and th- then they experience the kind of pain and torture and trauma that they inflicted on others. You know, that's that's the cause and effect part of you know you reap what you uh, you reap what you sow. Um, so um, I know one of the areas that uh, I didn't quite agree with with uh, Dr. Michael Newton who has written many books about life between lives. He's considered the expert in that area. But when when I started to do my research, um, I noticed that there were things that he was uh, writing about that were not quite in line with what Casey was talking about. So I, that's one of the reasons I did that research study was because I wanted to see for myself. But one of the things he said was that if a soul committed a heinous act, it was not allowed to return to the earth it kind of went into this purgatory up in the sky somewhere um and that i didn't find that to be true because like casey said whatever has begun on the earth has to finish on the earth and they have to have that opportunity that soul needs that opportunity to come back and to work on that and um so i i've i've had a problem with that it's um they will you know it's it's hard because we want to we want to have revenge we want to see people uh you know the instant karma thing you know where um you know they have to pay for for what they do. they will pay for it uh but it's Eventually. every soul yeah every soul comes to the earth to experience being in a physical body um so we're spiritual beings inhabiting physical bodies and if you think of the earth as a school, we come here to learn different things that we can only learn in a physical body and on the earth plane. And if the ego gets out of control and, and goes off and starts doing um, some of these horrific things, it's not always about them, but it's always also about the people around them, like how you know, uh, how do we react to that? What are we learning from observing them? Or what are we learning even from from dealing with them if it's a, a one-on-one type of a, of a situation? So there's a learning aspect uh, in there for not only for them but for us. So, But the universe will take care of that. 
it's like, um, and that's really hard, I know, to say, you know, they'll get their just desserts eventually, but but they will. It, it, it balances itself out. There is karmic retribution. Um, and, um, you know, so just like, a, you know, an example of a, of a man who's a slave owner, uh, you know, in the um, 18th, 19th century, uh, who mistreated his slaves may come back um, as a as a person, uh, you know, of a different race in which he's persecuted. So, um, and then it depends on how you respond to that. Do you respond with grace, uh, or you know, or do you make it just keep making it worse by you know exasperating the situation? So, it's important, I think, to have. Um, for I think if everybody could have a regression, I think if everybody believed in reincarnation, we would be living in a totally different world than we're living oh, in now. Oh, totally, totally agree with you on that one. Um, yeah, I know Edgar Casey believed that he had had a past life in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as a as a priest, I believe. Um, have you have you had any people come in that that have identified an Atlantis past life? Yes, actually, Casey did a reading when I mentioned about this little boy, baby, that was um, had been the reincarnation of Thomas Jefferson and Alexander the Great. He had a past life in Atlantis as well. Um, oh, wow. I had, um, I, yeah, he was, what's interesting about him, he, his name was Sulanan then. He was originally part of the group, the Sons of Belial, who were instrumental in causing the destruction of Atlantis. But at the last minute, he fell in love with um, the the soul of the woman who, who in this lifetime was his, his Aunt Gladys, Gladys Davis, who was Edgar Casey's secretary. There again, we've got the soul family interacting. Um, yeah. And, and he, um, he started to... Uh, 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 he changed, and he saw that what he was doing was wrong, and he joined the um, the other group, um, following the law of one. I think I don't remember what their names were, but he, uh, he was instrumental in helping to transport people off of Atlantis, and he had them settle uh, in Egypt, and uh, they beca- all some of them became Mayans and Inca. Incas and um, some mound builders. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a woman who was a priestess, in, and she's in my um, car, uh, the I did it to myself again book, the Life Between Lives book. She had been a priestess in Atlantis who was prized for her singing voice, but she misused her gifts instead of helping people with them. Uh, she just manipulated people and used them. Um, and in this life, she came back with a, uh, also had the beautiful singing voice, but was told in no, in, uh, no uh, uncertain terms that she could not ever use her singing voice um, to to, for, to uh, make money or, or self-aggrandizement. She had to use it to help people. So she's balancing all that off. So um, I think it was Dick Sutphin years and years ago said that about, I think he said either 95 or 98% of Americans are former Atlanteans. So 
you know, the the value in that is knowing <laughs> what we did wrong last time and not to do it again. Or maybe we're going to repeat it and and end up starting all over again. Who knows? But um, so, um, yeah, so that's – and I think that we are pretty dangerously close to where we were in Atlantis before Atlantis uh, disappeared. Oh, I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that old that old saying of, you know, if you, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it is, is definitely oh, floating around for sure. Isn't that scary? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I do feel that, that at, at least in my experience, that, that I'm running up against, not against, but I, I'm, I'm meeting up with other people that are, that are, um, I don't want to say highly evolved because that has ego in it. I that 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 are spiritually aware of their mm-hmm. selves and their higher consciousnesses, and and are working with that energy, not not necessarily to you know shift the planet, change the planet, but but to make their lives richer and the and by doing that, they're they're making the lives of the people around them better as well. So that, so that mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, and again, air quotes, in my opinion, um, we can only change, you know, ourselves, and right. by changing ourselves, other people are basically, if they're going to stay around us, forced to change as well. And right. and exactly. I I see a lot of that going on, and especially today with all of the isolation. Frankly, I love it because. People have time now to get inside of themselves, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not not everybody takes the trip, but a lot of people have, and so there's a lot more of of understanding and aha moments, and certainly the work that you do with past lives, it's just fascinating. I mean, you know, I noticed that you you know you only do on your on your website you only have you know the cost or whatever for one, and it would seem to me. That, that it would be nice if you had a package where where oh. you know you could do you know I don't know five or ten so that people could really get a total picture and and scatter it over a year or two years mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that so that people could benefit from going into the different lifetimes and seeing you know what's impacting them what they need to work on what's their first past life on the planet? You know, were they a green blob some places, you know, <laughs> taking form as a, you know, a one, a one, uh, a one, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, an amoeba. Um, so that, you know, but, but, but it seems to me that, that it's hard to choose what to do because you've got so many choices first. And second of all, the benefit to the past life regression gives you greater insight of your soul's journey. Therefore, mm-hmm. the more awareness you have, the better you can make this lifetime so that you're gangbusters next time. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, I've thought about that, about whether people wanted to make a commitment for um, multiple regressions. Most of my clients only come once. Um, and they get what they need, and then they don't, you know. I might, sometimes I'll get a call from them maybe two, three years later uh, that they want to do a follow-up, but um, 
this is one of the difference between this kind of therapy and traditional psychotherapy where you go week after week after week after week and you lay on a couch and you don't get anywhere for quite a while. Um, this usually, Because this goes right to the source of right. their, the issue that they're dealing with, um, they don't generally, they, they get what they need out of that one um, session. That being said, um, I what if you, when I discovered what if you I had an eighteen. Yeah, what if Pardon you me? focused on transcend? What if you focused on transcendence? Mhm, mhm. Yeah, that's definitely a, um, something I, I'll look into, Barbara. Because you're right, that would be that would be a totally different path for them. Instead of just dealing with this one particular issue, you know, healing it and then moving on. If if we could uh, couch it in their the soul's total journey. Um, Right, you know, it may it may speed up their, um, you know, their well, their evolution knowing, to, yeah. Knowing how many people go for long weekends and get a certificate and learn nothing. Oh, that's true, it, isn't it? You know, it, yeah. you know, I I I I met a lady who had who she came to me with a notebook full of credentials, and she slammed it on the table and she said, "Okay." I paid for all of these, and I'm no further along than when I started. Mm. And and you know, and and one of them was she took a work end course to become a shaman. Um, yes, and we'll all laugh at that one. Um, so that, so um, that it would. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I do. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about people who take a weekend course and hang their shingle out that they're doing this work. Oh yeah. Um and you know, there are so many places where you can just show up on a Friday and on Sunday they'll hand you your certificate and then you go out and call yourself a past life therapist. And you haven't even worked on your own past lives. That's the other part that I find. Um you really I would encourage people if you're gonna work with a past life therapist, look at not only look at their credentials but just get a feel for who they are and and what their philosophy is. And, you know, you can interview them before you do your your session with them. Um, Have they done any work on themselves? Have they explored their own past lives? You know, I moved all the way from, I moved from Chicago to Charlottesville chasing a past life. And I spent years. Oh, yeah. Years yeah, working on this one past life, you know, and so, uh, so I know of what I speak, and uh, <laughs> you know, if people, if people, um, you know, if if they're having a regression, let's say that they're getting into uh, an area where they're experiencing great distress, and they start crying, um, it helps to have been been there and done that yourself because you can have the empathy with them. Um, while you're still, con- you know, you're, you're still guiding. E- emotion in a past life, by the way, and you know this, is a sign that it was real. Because yeah. you can't fake that. You cannot fake that in hypnosis. Uh, although what I use, I, I prefer to call it guided imagery than, than hypnosis, but I think that's just a semantics thing. It makes people feel more at ease when I say that. But um, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I tell them, I said, if you want to, cry cry if you want to laugh laugh you know um some people you know that experience the loss of a child in a regression the the sorrow 
is is there. Um, other people will just start laughing uncontrollably because they'll just start giggling because of something so silly that they're that they're re-experiencing. But that's the beauty of it. That's that's you know shows them that this was real. You're not making. A lot of people will say to me, "I'm afraid I'm going to make it up. I'm afraid this is my imagination." Well. And I'll say to them, well, you know what that implies? That implies that you sat at home and you thought, hmm, I'm going to make up one heck of a story for Joanne. I'm going to, well, but this is when I had my office. I'm going to drive to her office and uh, spend two or three hours with her, tell her this ridiculous story, and then give her a check for listening to my story. I said, do you really (laughs) think you would do that? And they said, no. (laughs) I said, of course not. Of course, that. Well, they're and sometimes like, they're afraid, you know. Oh, I'm maybe I did something really terrible, and I don't want to re-experience thing that. I said, first of all, spirit will not show you anything that you can't handle. It already knows mm-hmm. what what you can handle, what you can't handle. So don't worry about that. Second of all, we have all done things that we're not proud of. You know. Um, oh yeah. We've all we've all been saints and sinners. Um, because that's part of the learning experience. That's part of the journey. That's part of our experience in a human body. Uh, so, um, you know, I said to them, nothing's going to surprise me. If you tell me you're from another planet, you won't surprise me either. So don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? But, but isn't, isn't the imagination the, the, the uh, what do I want to call it, the mixing pot of experiences from all past lives? So if yeah, you're I mean, pulling I, from I, your imagination... You're pulling yeah. from past lives. Yeah. So what? Yeah. That that begs the question: What is the imagination? Where is that coming from? Uh, you know. So, and all of them will say to me, "Oh, I I say to them, would you have made that story up? No way would I have made that <laughs> story up. So, so, well, I, uh, I and then some some of them will actually start will actually go and do research on their story. Mm-hmm. They'll look up the town that they say they lived in or they'll look up the name or if they died in a plague in a certain year in England, they'll look up whether there was a plague in England in that year. Um, you know, not everybody can I had one woman who traced um uh, a monastery because it's still it's still in existence. Uh and she was able to find it and said, "Oh, I recognize that." Um, so those, oh, so cool. you know, those deja vu experiences that you have, especially if you have a lifetime and you can identify with a historic location, uh, you know, if you, you know, you um, you walk across the ley line, you know, you deposited emotional energy into the earth when you lived that life. And if you happen to walk across that line unsuspectingly, I'm sure, you could pick that up again, that energy, that emotion will come right back. I had that happen well, I, to me here in Virginia. Yeah, yeah that's what I was, I was, I wanted you to, sh- I, I think the fact that you have experienced this yourself gives greater validity to what you do with others. So if you could, if you could kind of go over the, the, the first time you had that experience and then going back and ex- experiencing the, the, uh, the, the additional information you got. Well, I had um, I had hints about a possible past life in 18th century Virginia when I was a child, um, and I tell people watch your children, especially before the age of five, because uh, they can still remember their past lives if you encourage them to talk about it. But when I was a child, I loved 
uh, and now I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a very blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, but all I could think about was Dolly Madison and Abigail Adams and uh, wearing my hair in ringlets. And for Halloween, I always had to have a, a long dress on, and I was writing with a quill pen and listening to Baroque music. And um, so I, was, I loved movies about that time period. I loved everything about that time period. I loved the the architecture. I loved the furnishings. I loved the, the costumes. Even now, oh, my goodness. When I was watching Bridgerton, was that the name of it? Yeah. Um, I, I just got so lost. In in the in the beautiful costumes. Well, anyway, I didn't. When I got into um, college, I what did I major in? Of course, is history. And I had a professor tell me, he said, you know, you had the most uncanny feel for the 18th century of any student I've ever had. And I thought, yeah, you know, I did, but I didn't put two and two together that it might have been a past life. When I was growing up in, in Chicago, I I. I never felt like that was home. And I would look at my family and I'd go, who are you people? I don't know who you are. <laughs> where where are my gardens? I'm not supposed to be here. Um, after college, I came to Virginia. Um, I decided I was going to start in Richmond and then work my way up the eastern seaboard to Boston to visit all these places, historic places, that I had this so-called uncanny feel for. And when I got to Virginia... Um, I had the most strange experience. Um, uh, first of all, I just felt like my soul took this giant sigh of relief that I was finally home. And um, all those feelings I had all those years growing up of where do I belong got answered when I when I came to Virginia. And um, I had some experiences at some several of the historic locations here, um, got up to Boston. I thought for sure I was going to have some sort of experience visiting the home of John and Abigail Adams, but I didn't. It was really just focused mostly here in in, uh, in, in Virginia, in uh, not only Charlottesville, but also Williamsburg and Yorktown. And uh, But then I went home and, uh, you know, forgot all about it, got married, uh, and then um, Shirley MacLaine came out in 1987 with Out on a Limb. That was mm-hmm. my red-letter year. And she starts talking about um, reincarnation, and I was just enthralled with everything she, she was saying. So that was my big wake-up call, me and I'm sure thousands of other sleeping metaphysicians. And uh, that was the same year that I joined the uh, Edgar Casey's ARE and uh, started to do some research because I had read about reincarnation as a as a teenager. I had read books by Ruth Montgomery and Jess Stern and I had read about Edgar Casey and like I said I read about the search for Bridie Murphy and and I felt like, wow, this really makes a lot of sense to me but I didn't apply it to myself um until nineteen eighty seven and that's when I uh got really threw myself into this work and worked with some I started my own past life research organization in Chicago called Plexus, and I brought in leading speakers, uh, authors, therapists in the field of um, past life research, hosted them, and became friends with them. And when we would go out to dinner, I would share my story with them, and um, 
and I had one in particular, Henry Leo Bolduc, who has since passed. He was a, was a big speaker with the ARE uh, back in the 80s, and he said to me, uh, why aren't you, he said, Joanne, you know more about reincarnation than most um, therapists out there. Why aren't you doing it? And I said, no, I'm a, I don't think of myself as a therapist. I'm a writer. I want to observe what's going on with a regression and write about it and share that. And he kept at me, kept at me for years. And finally I decided to um, go ahead and get my, um, my hypnotherapy certification. And then I attended um, uh, Atlantic University and got my master's in transpersonal studies, which is actually transpersonal psychology and my spiritual mentor certification and started to do my own past life work uh after that and and then also started to see a past life therapist um and explored my own past life in that 18th century time period and uh discovered a wealth of information about my own psyche about my own personality that was linked to that the, that previous lifetime, so I knew then what I was working on, and then and then uh, miracle of miracles, um, uh, people from that lifetime started to come into my life, and um, and having them in my life, I was able to dig a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper, uh, and um, it was very eye opening for me. It was it was uh, painful at times, extremely painful at times. Um, but I also experienced love and, and uh, uh, of a, you know on a soul level for those people, um, which I had never experienced love like that before. Uh, so I knew the value of the work just from the work I did on myself over many, many years, and was very grateful that Henry pushed me to um, to start doing the work on my own so that I could share that that knowledge of of uh, the benefits of uh, past life therapy um, with people. And now since the pandemic, the beautiful part about it is that I, I'm doing them on Zoom, which I didn't think I could do. I, I resisted it. I thought, <laughs> no, 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 I have to be there in person. And um, my friend Peter <laughs> Woodbury, who's at, who's at the ARE, said, no, no, no. He said, you could... It's even better than doing them in person because they're in their own home and they're comfortable uh, and there's not that anxiety going on. And so now, Barbara, that's opened up my work to a global audience. And oh, suddenly yeah, well, I'm working with people all over the world. It's just been wonderful. That That's, you know, I, I know that, I, you know, obviously the pandemic has been horrible in many ways, but for spiritually oriented people, it's it's been fabulous because you know energy is energy casey casey just required people to be in a quiet place and sit quietly at a certain time while he did the reading so he could attach to them but but now with the electronics you can you can see or hear the person and you're right in their energy and Mm -hmm. it it makes it easier i think for the practitioner and the person because there's greater comfort and security and and you know it it you know so long as you don't have you know cats or dogs deciding to interrupt or something like that, it works just as well. <laughs> yes, yes, 
the, the, the quiet is an important element of it because you don't want them to get abruptly awakened from their trance. Although some people go in so deep that you wouldn't, that wouldn't affect them. And I, I do give them that suggestion that, you know, nothing, if something distracts them, just return their attention to the sound of my voice and then we, we go oh, from yeah. there. But it's been a very, um, uh, uh, humbling experience for me to be able to connect with people now all over the world. Um, and and we're all connected because we're all striving for the same thing. We oh, want to yeah. understand. We know we want to understand why we're here. We want to understand what it is that we're, we're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, uh, especially now people will say, I want to know why I chose to be here during this pandemic. Yeah, you know, so um, oh. <laughs> it's it's a fascinating. It's uh, or if they're having a, a a physical condition that needs addressing, or a relationship issue that needs addressing. Um, uh, and my heart goes out to them sometimes because a lot, many of them are just suffering. They're suffering because they don't know what's going yeah. on. Uh, and um, and I feel like. You know, I'm not. I don't go into it with, with them and say, you know, they're not all successful. Some people are blocked, and there's nothing you can do to help them. Um, but that seldom happens. Most of them will get something. Um, although, you know, I have had some where I I've tried um, repeatedly, and and there's just either spirit, there's something spirit doesn't want them to see, or they're not ready, uh, and they're throwing up yeah. some some obstacles that are blocking us to go forward, but most of them are very successful. Well, you know, lots of times people declare they're ready and they're not, and mm-hmm. I think it's it's wonderful when when spirit gets in the way and says, no, you're not. <laughs> and, yeah, no, not now. <laughs> Come back later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not the right time. So yeah. so you have a new book. Is that the one you were talking about, or is there a new book beyond that? No, the Edgar Casey. well, the one after Karma that I wrote is the, I did it to myself again. That's on the Life Between Lives case mm-hmm. studies. And then the new one that just came out now is Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. It has that title because when Casey did the reading on this little baby, he said that he could do for the world what Jefferson did for this country. So the whole book is about why that never happened. And it wasn't because Edgar Casey was wrong. Uh, you know, a lot of it had to do with free will and yeah. how a soul's trajectory can change at any given point in time. So um, I felt compelled to write this about this particular soul um, because I felt like he had been, he said all of his life everybody, you know, kind of, kind of looked at, down at him because he didn't fulfill this prophecy. It's like you could have been the salvation of the world, and what have you, what have you done? You haven't done anything. And I thought this is not fair. This is not how this works. So I uh, spent many, many years in the Edgar Casey Foundation archives, uh, going through his file. He's one of the very few living recipients of a Casey reading. Um, most have passed on at this point. Casey died in 1945. Uh, yes. So he lived He lived with the Casey family for eight and a half years. And the things that he saw uh, are, are absolutely awesome. And his stories are, are 
really, really wonderful. And then, you know, all through it, you can see how you could weave the, the Jefferson life pops in and in and out, as does the Alexander life. But the book isn't really about that so much as it is about the relationship between this little boy and, and Mr. Casey and how Mr. Casey tutored him and mentored him. They would go fishing out on a pier, and Mr. Casey taught him how to read auras, taught him about reincarnation, about karma and grace and the creation story. And um, he learned how to see fairies. Uh, and um, uh, so so there's some endearing, endearing stories in there. But it's really about how a soul, you know, how you do have free will. And you could have the most lofty past life imaginable. doesn't mean you're going to have it, another one right after that. Um, so, um, so he's 84 years old now. He lives here in Charlotte, so we've become good friends. And um, I feel like I wanted to to write this to um, to vindicate him and uh, and share that that beautiful story because talk about a soul group. You know, he and Casey and the ones in Casey's circle were all in the in the same in the same soul group. It's funny because I had a reading done for myself years ago. And um, the woman who was a medium, and she gave this reading, and she said, Joanne, do you know why you are so dedicated to the Casey teachings? I said, no, why? She says, because you were you were his daughter in a previous life. And I'm like, yeah, right. It, me of all people to say <laughs> that, right? Uh, but yeah. it was like I, I had, that had never come up before, and so I was like, yeah, I don't think so. So, um, <laughs> And then she said, yeah, no, no, when you were in Africa together. And so I called... Uh, uh, T.J. Davis is the is the name of the person who was Thomas Jefferson in that. And I said to him, you know, I just got this reading, and she said that I've been a daughter of Casey's in, in Africa. And I said, I don't remember any past lives in Africa. And he says, Joanne, Egypt is in Africa. <laughs> And I didn't, I didn't put it, I didn't put it together, you know. So it was kind of strange, but. Uh, but that's the way it is. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees when you're doing the work Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is what is the furthest back you have taken anyone? Probably Atlantis. Um, I've had I've had some people in uh, ancient Egypt, um, in Rome. Um, so I think that's about that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few people during the like during the time of Christ. Most people mm-hmm. are in the 18th century. Um, I mean, I put the statistics in all my books in terms of I think in in the physical karma book I had some in the 5th century BC uh all the way up to the 20th century AD. So, um Sometimes, you know, when they go back that far, they're not able to identify the time period. So it's it's a little difficult. Um, well, yeah, they've yeah. done a calendar on the wall type stuff. Um, yeah. But it was just, it. well, it would seem to me that if they were working out some sort of past life, something in this lifetime, it would have to be within the last couple of hundred years that it occurred. Almost, yeah, or I to did, have relevance I did, yeah. to this lifetime. Well, you know, um, when I did my um, Life Between Life uh, study, 
I had uh, 25% of the people in that study were pre-1000 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had about 36% were in the 19th century, so they were in the 1800s. So, um, and I think that there, the, there's so many in the 19th century is because of the um, formation of the United States. So if they're remembering, although I've had people who've remembered uh, lifetimes in North America and what became the United States, but they were there prior to um, the country, uh, you know, uh, yeah. developing. Um, and some people are like, they don't know what time what time period it is at all. <laughs> or I'll have them, I'll say to them, I'll have some people, they'll, they'll be very specific. They'll say, it's 1632. And I'll have others who'll say, it's sometime in the 1600s. And then I'll have others say, I don't know. I think it's medieval times or it's the Renaissance or you know, ancient Rome or ancient Egypt or ancient Greece. Um, so where's so, where is your where is your next study going? Cause, because I know we we talked about um, Down syndrome people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and that, we that was an interesting conversation. I'm actually going to take a break from um, all my reincarnation studies. I'm doing a book on the Beatles and spirituality. Because um, I was president of the Beatles fan club when I was a teenager, shows you how old I am again. <laughs> uh, and um, <laughs> and I actually kept uh, I did um, newsletters uh, over the eight year period that I ran this fan club, and the fans were writing in. What I wanted to find out was. It, it occurred to me, or I thought, I wonder if the Beatles planted the seed of spirituality in us when we were kids. We didn't even know it. But because, you know, being fans, we we just couldn't get enough of them. Anything that they did, you know, we adopted. So at that point when they started getting into, or especially George Harrison getting into transcendental meditation, um, yeah. which we none of us understood, uh, but because George did it, you know, we just thought, oh, well, we have to do this too. I'm wondering if uh, our spirituality or, or, or the course of our soul, that was the seed planted. It didn't bloom maybe until 20, 30, 40 years later, but nonetheless, you know. So what I'm doing is I'm going through all of my old newsletters. And believe me when I tell you that reading something that I wrote at age 15 makes me want to cringe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking. So I can I'm relate like a dete- to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like a detective. I'm looking for clues of, you know, like why did I suddenly veer off from being a good Italian Catholic girl to this this interest in metaphysics? Because there was nothing going on in my life that would have set me on that course so how did how did that happen and I just thought to myself I wonder if that happened because I was so involved with that the Beatles and the fan club so I've accumulated about 45 different Beatle biographies and um and I'm going to go through my uh, newsletters and I'm then I'm going to go through the biographies and try to piece it together and I've offered people you know if 
they're Beatle if they were Beatle fans and now they're pursuing a esoteric uh lifestyle or career, uh if they want I have a questionnaire they can fill out and uh and share with me what their experiences were. So that that's that's what I decided to work on. I was going to do another book about the top questions people ask about reincarnation, um, which actually Frank DeMarco gave me that that idea, uh, uh-huh. and I started working on it. But then it was it was uh, it was getting a little too big of a project, and I needed something light. And I thought well, this I've might always, be fun. I've always believed that some of their music was certainly channeled. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. And um, I know in interviews they basically said, no, nah, we just, you know, wrote the words and sang the song. You know, they, they were, they, but, but so often truly channeled material comes through in very unique and different places to touch another level of society. Yeah. So yeah. It, it may not have been them and their spiritual journey as much as what they were bringing through in their creative process in the music that they were writing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just read a I've been reading a book that uh, Peter Asher wrote. Uh uh he was talking about the different Beatles songs from A to Z and he uh, talked about across the universe and I John um really felt that that's the way that the way that that song came through to him really sort of mm-hmm. changed him and he talked about a little bit about that. So yeah, I I do believe that. So it's going to be um it's fun for me to re- revisit my um you know, my, my teenage years, <laughs> but also staying yeah. within the realm of the of the work that I'm doing now. So, uh, um, yeah, so I'm going to be I'm tackling that right now. It sounds like it's a very exciting thing. And do you play a lot of the music? Because I sure would. Yeah, I mean, I've got Sirius XM. I've got the Beatles channel going. And uh, <laughs> some, you know, I'm amazed that there's, that sometimes they'll put something on, and I, I thought, well, I never heard that before. So I think there's still things to be discovered here. <laughs> that, well, that, I, yeah, uh, I totally agree. I think Yoko Ono is still available for interview, too. Is she? Because somebody told me that John Lennon was reading a book about Edgar Cayce. So I would really love to verify that, if that was true. Um, so maybe I can get in touch with her and um and find out about that but um well she yeah. was she was i think she was spiritual and esoteric before they were and, oh yeah you know, i think in a whole different way you know, yeah. yeah oh yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> no i i think that that you find spirituality in the most unusual places when you when you really are when you're tuned in to look for it and see it and it's it's just amazing I mean, I, you can see it in even the song, the songs of the 20s and 30s, Till There Was You. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sounds like a love song, but it could be finding the, the creator. Exactly. I mean, if, you, yeah. if you listen, if you listen and, and look, you know, I, I don't know who said with eyes to see and ears to hear, but whoever they were, they were brilliant because the reality is there are spiritual messages all over the place. And it's, yeah. it's amazing, it's synchronistic, and, and you know, I, out of your book, um, Carl Jung, you know, called all these synchronicities meaningful coincidences. I don't believe yeah. in coincidences. I believe yeah, I that they're either. there for yeah. a reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing's random, Edgar Casey said. Yeah. Oh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And and so you know it's 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 exciting to be in in a world where um, when you do work like this, you're not looked again looked at as though you were you know strange, weird, and you know the guys in white coats are coming. Um, People are starting to really pay attention and listen. And you know all you need is them to listen. You plant a mm-hmm. seed. If it grows, mm-hmm. great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But to, to plant a seed is the most exciting thing you can do to mm-hmm. put information out there and to trigger people into, I'm going to prove it wrong or I'm going to prove it right or isn't this wonderful. You know, I, I just, the minute, the, minute the, the information hits the consciousness, it opens doors. And Absolutely. sometimes... Sometimes that door doesn't open wide for a while, but it it does always open, and that that's that's where this pandemic has been so beneficial to those of us who do podcasts because you guys aren't doing book signings anymore, and the only way you get out there is if we put you on the air. That's true. Yeah, same thing with uh, conferences. I used to, you know, travel quite a bit to different conferences across the country and do a talk, and now I do them all on Zoom. Which is, is yeah. great, yeah. So actually, yeah. it is. I mean, I, I don't see. See, I don't like big groups of people. So this, <laughs> this has been totally to my benefit. Probably something I should look into. But but you know, it, it's kind of it's like, a past life. It's the past life thing, Barbara. That's why <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> right along with not getting my face wet. Um, uh, yeah. No, actually, actually, I it it has. I'm sure it is, you know, related to that. But I have found that that if you're doing this work and then you're in a large group of people, you're like you're like sticky stuff, and and everybody's emotions just stick to you, and it, oh, it takes yeah. a while to kind of get get rid of all of that. It's not a horrible thing. It's just something you have to be aware of and you can take care of. But but what what happens is we're isolated so we have a pure channel to yeah. utilize to get information out there which is fabulous yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah and i think um music is a memory trigger for many of us certain oh, pieces yeah. of music we hear and we just go off into another time period or we have images that come into our mind that um, or the music will bring tears to your eyes or laughter or whatever. There's just such a, we have so many powerful tools that we've been given. And many people, sadly, will go through their entire lives without even re- realizing that um, and and seeing it as a, as a gift. Um, we're not here alone. None of us are alone. Even if we feel like we're alone, we're not alone. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and we're learning now, I think, to pursue uh, a deeper understanding, a more profound understanding of life and why we're here because of this pandemic. And so I, while I miss not being able to, you know, be with family or I haven't been to a restaurant in over a year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> which, uh, which I 
which I miss dearly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm so grateful. It's also made me a lot more grateful for what I do have. And um, and so it's, it's – uh, and, and I'm getting an awful lot of work done. That's what I can say. <laughs> you know, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, there's a lot going on. But uh, and I, I just I just pray that I I'll have the the years to continue to do this work because it is just such a humbling experience to be a part of somebody's transformation on, on this deep of a level, which happens with past life work all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I noticed the clock and, and we have talked our way through two hours. I know. Um, I knew we were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this has been such a joy. Um, Joanne's website is joannedimaggio.com, real hard. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the book we've been talking about is Karma Can Be a Real Pain. Well, we started there anyhow. Um and and I highly recommend all of the books. I haven't read them all yet, but I've read this one, and that means I have to do have to read more. And you know, I would love for you to come back on and and do the life between lives because that that sounds fascinating, and and I think that that the audience would would absolutely eat that one up too. Mm, that would be my pleasure. Thank you. Of course, the Edgar Casey book looks too good too. Maybe I'll just read them both, and we'll do them both in the same. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I will get in touch with you tomorrow, and we'll figure something out because your books okay. are not 800 pages, so that it 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 would not be beyond beyond the veil, so to speak, to read two of them. I don't think. Um, but thank you again, and and I I just I so appreciate all the work you do and. And it looks so exciting. Um, look into a package because I, I mean, for people who are, who are, you know, working on spiritual transcendence, to be able to hit four or five past lives, um, yeah. would be almost like taking a master's course in your own past lives. That's a good way of putting it. Absolutely, I'll look into that. Yeah, I mean. Why not? You can offer it if nobody takes you up on it. That you haven't lost anything. That's true. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've uh, uh, I, I've thought about packages, and and so this would fit right into it. And uh, I will definitely meditate on that and see what my friends upstairs have to say. <laughs> Come through and write all... a copy for me. <laughs> a, a, a wise person once said, "If you don't ask for it, you know you don't get it." So that's true. That's put it out true. there. Um, I want to thank you again, and I will talk to you probably tomorrow to set something else up. Okay, Barbara. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our time together. This has been a real joy for me. Oh, me too. Thanks again. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, and everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate your being here. Uh, Check out YouTube. Check out Rumble. We're in both places, and subscribe or follow them so you so we can tell that you've been listening uh that's actually the only way we have of of knowing you're there so uh please make sure you check in with us continually look at the website and check out when the next show is and we'll get back to you soon good night everybody